Bam 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 Everybody! Oh no! Oh, I didn't get a laugh. I've tried so hard to get a that laugh. That was an intense. Well, okay. Oh, she's making faces at me. It's working. Welcome I'm working away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to go help yourself. It's the comedy self help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky. I'm Misty Stinnett, and we are your co-hosts on this journey through self help books. We are here for you to wade through the shit and through the good stuff. We cuss. We do. I hate self-help. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Misty loves self-help. She's great at finding good nuggets to use. And we're here every week to uh, read and review and tell you all about a popular self-help book. We'll tell you the highs, the lows, the picks, the pans, the rants, the raves. I did that opposite. And we'll give you all of this uh, life-changing perspective-altering self-help advice that you've been craving or that other people have been desperately begging for you to get. And if you love it, you can go, go buy, buy the, the book. Because we can't cover everything in an hour. And if you're like, that's not for me, you've saved yourself time you're and welcome. money you're and energy. You're and hopefully, you felt like you're hanging out with your friends because we are your friends. Yeah, and you're my friends. We're here with you while you're shopping, while you're cooking, while you're driving, while, while you're, you're procrastinating at work. Oh, yeah. As we know, we have a lot, a lot of, followers of followers who doink who it. Who listen while they're doinking. Yeah. Doink City. Um, Misty, I think that's all of our uh, yeah. uh, all of our We're housekeeping. We're getting right into it today. <laughs> oh, and we just want to thank everybody who's been leaving uh, ratings and reviews. Oh, my God. It's it makes hel- such a difference. Thank you so much. It's helping us be found more yes. and more by new listeners because yes. we're getting listener emails who are saying, I, I searched you. for a self-help podcast and I found you. And, and I say, I've been waiting to be found. Yeah, and I said, I've been waiting to be discovered. We've been waiting for you. You're late. I've been waiting for a listener like you. (laughs) (laughs) My mailed. Anyway, so thank you so much. You know we love ratings and reviews. We'll let you decide if you want to do that or not. So, what I want to present to you. Yes, what are you presenting to us today? Is Full Frontal Friday. Yeah, this is a very recent book, and it is super, super popular. It is the New York Times bestseller, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. I love this woman. I love what she's talking about. I have heard a lot about it. I've seen interviews with her, and I'm super excited for you to present it. Great. So it's also currently the number one bestseller in educational professional development on Amazon, and its category is a self-help book. Because she was a teacher. She was everything. Yeah. She was a like lot a of things. Like, oh, she was we're about, I'm about to tell you. So. Why don't you tell me? Why don't you tell also, me? Also, I am fantasizing that Duckworth, that she was one of the ducks in Eckhart Tolle's A Newer. Oh, she for sure is. And I will never trust her again. <laughs> and if you don't know what that joke is, go and listen to uh, A New Porth episode. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> By Eckhart Tolle. Uh, particularly, was it episode two? Oh. I can't remember. The second episode with the ducks was amazing. Oh, it was, okay. So the runners. The okay. runner duck bits. Okay. A duck runner. So the hardcover is $15.63. Yeah. The paperback is nine eighty eight. dollars yes. The Kindle is thirteen ninety nine. dollars yes. The audiobook is fourteen sixty nine dollars or yes. one credit. Yes. But this thing keeps happening to me on Amazon where oh. I will see the book prices. Then I'll go to Audible to get the audiobook and it's like it's $25.99 or one credit. And I'm like, why do you have different prices? So somebody tell me, listen, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, 
if you're oh, listening. He's, he's definitely not listening. Oh, he's for sure listening. He writes us like every I'm week sorry, to listening. tell he's us listening. about what's happening. Um, fix that shit. Oh, also pay your uh, warehouse workers more. Yeah. Have, have we not said, if, if you don't know about Amazon Smile... Yeah. Please do Amazon Smile. You can. It's it. It costs you nothing. Nothing is different for you. You just have it a different looks homepage. Exactly yep. the same. And some of your purchases may qualify to donate literally pennies on the dollar to a to charity, charity of your choice. Yeah, it could be a local charity. You can mm-hmm. ask them if they've set up. Mm-hmm. So mine goes to Downtown Dog Rescue here in L.A. I love and over that. the course of like the last two years, uh, they've gotten like. 40 bucks for me just from making my normal purchases. Which is great. Yeah, and it doesn't, your purchases don't cost any more, which right. is so great. Um, yeah, if you're going to buy on Amazon anyway, you may as well do smile.amazon.com. Thank you. So, a little bit about Angela. Tell me about Angela. amazing. And this is from her website, AngelaDuckworth.com. I just you. sort of distilled it down. Angela Duckworth is the founder and CEO of Character Lab, a nonprofit whose mission is to advance the science and practice of character development. She is also the Christopher H. Brown Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Okay. A 2013 MacArthur Fellow. She's Hello. stupid. She's real stupid. Uh, which is, uh, if you don't know about the MacArthur Genius Grant, I actually worked with this incredible man named Willie Reale. We were in a writer's room for about six months together, who was a fellow uh, a, f- a fellow MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. Did y'all know that recipient. Missy was a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient? Because <laughs> we just found out. I meant along with Angela, but it's it's really incredible. So Lin-Manuel Miranda was also a MacArthur. Never heard of him. That's right. He's just a little known um, little playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, you aren't nominated by anyone no. to be a— They just choose you. A MacArthur Genius Grant, you basically are just identified by this super secret committee. Yeah. And you— the, for the people Illuminati. Who are do, the Illuminati who are doing— they identify people doing incredible work yeah. to, like, advance humanity. Yeah. And you are just given—what is it? A, a million. Qu- a million or a quarter of a million? I think it's a million. So it's a huge it's sum of money. Billion dollars. And the idea is that you can sort of You do whatever you want with it. You do whatever you want with it. So um someone, You can go to Vegas, blow it all. That's right. Or you can write Hamilton like Lynn Manuel Miranda did with his grant. I mean, okay. Yeah. I'd rather go to Vegas. So anyway, so Angela Duckworth is a 2013 MacArthur Fellow. She has advised the White House, the World Bank, NBA, and NFL teams, and Fortune 500 CEOs. Prior to her career in research, Angela founded a summer school for low-income children that was profiled as a Harvard Kennedy School case study and in 2018 celebrated its 25th anniversary. She has also been a McKinsey management consultant and a math and science teacher in the public schools of New York City, San Francisco, and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Angela completed her undergraduate degree in advanced studies neurobiology at Harvard. She's stupid. Graduating magna cum laude. Oh, dumb. With the support of a Marshall scholarship, she completed an MSc with distinction in neuroscience from Oxford University. Boo. She completed her PhD in psychology as a National Science Foundation graduate fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. You know what? She needs more degrees before I'll listen she to her. She needs more degrees. And also, she's been a public school teacher and a neurobiologist. I don't trust her. Anyway, Angela's TED Talk is among the most viewed of all time. And you know we'll be putting that link in show notes if you want to watch it. Her first book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, is a number one New York Times bestseller. It's really good. 
Yeah, we're about to hear about it. So uh, the cover looks like it's got a bunch of small gray arrows pointing to the left and a giant white arrow pointing to the right. So it's it's implying that this arrow upstream. is persevering against the stream of small gray You're arrows. A salmon going through a fish tube. That's right. Yep, a fish tube. And it says grit in big, bold red letters. Yeah. So it's 353 pages. That's too long. And you know it is too long. It I, is I, too long. I, see, the thing is I need grit to get through the book, but I can't read the book to get yeah, the grit. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's already over. Mm-hmm. Stop listening. I just Goodbye. have grr. That you, just <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> That's right. Um, so you know I listened to the audiobook on this one. Who reads it? Angela Duckworth. <gasps> the author reads it, and she's fine. Her voice does not annoy me, but I'm not like, wow, what a voice. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I really enjoyed Elizabeth and Gilbert's book. Just so we're book, clear, Misty or, has an amazing voice, and she's an excellent um, voice actor. So, like, we need—you have a great ear for that. So if it was fine, it was fine. It's fine. She's totally fine. And now I feel pressure to have the most soothing voice. No, you do, though. You have a lovely, like, I'm just—when I'm tired, I'm monotone. But Thank you. But you are always—you're have you're an excellent voice You're very actor. lovely. I have not done my uh, vocal warm-up for a few days. Sorry, Matt Beisner. <laughs> Sorry, my body and anxiety. Okay. I'm going to invite you to not apologize and just, yeah. we're going to say thank you for loving you. Thank you. Okay. The book has three parts. Okay. Part one, what grit is and why it matters. Sure. Part two, growing grit from the inside out. Grr. Part three, growing grit from the outside in. Mm-hmm. And among split under those three parts are the following chapter titles. Yes. Chapter one, showing up. Chapter two, distracted by talent. Yes. Chapter three, effort counts twice. Thank you. Chapter four, how gritty are you? I am very gritty some Chap- days. Chapter five, grit grows. Okay. You, when it does that, you can just wax it off really oh, quickly. Yeah. Okay. Um, chapter six, interest. Chapter seven, <laughs> practice. Chapter eight, purpose. Chapter nine, hope. Chapter 10, parenting for grit. Chapter 11, the playing fields of grit. 12, A Culture of Grit, and the final chapter, 13, Conclusion. I feel like our current administration is a culture of grit. I don't think so. There's a Not lot the of giving she's up talking about it. Quick note, in my high school, in mm-hmm. our cliques, the way that, you know, every high school describes cliques different, right? Um, we had what we described the people who drove IROC Z T-tops and, mm-hmm. and wore cut-off T-shirts yes. with um, heavy metal bands yeah. and had long hair. Yes. We called them grits. Amazing. And when they would drive around the parking lot, we called them grit laps. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank every you. time I hear the word grit, I have a very distinct image that comes up oh, in my sure. head. Oh, sure. And they may have a lot of tenacity and perseverance as well. I, I hope they do. And dedication. I ho- they, sure, they sure did to grow that hair out. Thank you. So we're going to do a very broad overview mm-hmm. with some of the main points of the book that mm-hmm. I have selected. And we might jump around a little bit. I love to jump around. Ar- be- <gasps> jump, jump around. around. <laughs> jump uh, around. Uh, jump, jump around. Up, jump up and get down. Grit. 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 Grit, grit. It's also a musical. This is a comedy self-help musical podcast. Um, okay, so let's start with, so what's grit? What is it what anyway? What the frickin' heck is grit anyway? Grit. Thank you. Uh, grit is the combination of passion, which is a deep, enduring knowledge of what you want, and perseverance, which is hard work and resilience. So it's the combination of passion and perseverance. That makes sense. So people with grit have passion and perseverance. That makes sense. Any like Lin Manuel Miranda, we see that yeah. he has passion for playwriting and musicals, yeah. and he persevered long enough by writing so many that he finally became famous. Yeah, and you Successful. you might 
posit that uh, passion is what gives you that perseverance, right? You sure. love it so much you want to keep going. But sure. we'll get into all of that. Okay, great. So grit is about moving in a direction with consistency and endurance, like having a clear inner compass that guides all your decisions and actions. Oh, my God. So your head, your heart, and your feet are all in alignment. Yes. Great. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. Oh, thanks. So wow. I, I think towards the end of the book, she even says, like, heart, mind, body. Yeah. Um, so Grit has been found to reliably predict whether military recruits graduate from rigorous elite training programs like West Point, mm-hmm. whether salespeople stay in their jobs, whether mm-hmm. high school students graduate on schedule, and whether adults earn their graduate degrees. Over the years, Duckworth has studied Grit through experiments, empirical research, and interviews with Grit paragons, which are people who exemplify Grit. Um, I want to be a grit paragon. I think I have grit. Oh, you have a ton of grit. Are you kidding me? Any any person who is an actor for longer than like a year has a ton of grit. Okay. Right? Because it's all like rejection and setbacks and carrots dangled in front of your face and putting in all this work and maybe a lot of opportunities don't come along, right? And you stick with it anyway. Thank you. Yeah, you're totally a grit paragon. Lisa have, Linky, everybody. I'm a grit. Watch me do a grit lap around this chair. Thank you. Here I go. Here I go. I'm so, walking around this chair. Thank you. Amazing. So here's why grit is important. Various research studies have proven that talent and intelligence alone do not predict success. Ooh. There's a ton of very naturally gifted people Thank or talented you. people Thank you. who don't make it yep. in their chosen fields or Thank they sort you. of give up, et cetera. In fact, talent can hinder performance, and aptitude tests tend to be poor measures of true potential. Though the talent paradox. Oh, yeah. We'll get to it. That's a Paris Hilton. She is a talent paradox. On the other hand, effort, which is sustained by grit, (laughs) Lisa's dying, is doubly important. You must put in effort to hone your natural talents into tangible skills through practice and improvement. You must also put in effort to apply those skills to solve real-world problems to attain achievement. I'm going to expand on this more in a moment. This is so smart. I love everything you're saying. It's super smart. So in chapter two, which is called Distracted by Talent, Duckworth talks about how the biggest reason a preoccupation with talent can be harmful is simple. By shining our spotlight on talent, we risk leaving everything else in the shadows. Mm -hmm. We inadvertently send the message that these other factors, including grit, don't matter as much as they really do. Mm-hmm. But we as human beings still have something called the naturalness bias. Mm-hmm. It's a hidden prejudice against those who have achieved what they have because they worked for it and a hidden preference for those whom we think arrived at their place in life because they're naturally talented. Listen, this makes perfect sense. Does it? It does because we uh, we do this. And I'm trying to think of like, does she give examples? Uh million. Okay. Honestly, my biggest critique of the book is there's too many. so many yeah. examples. Yeah. So for example, she can't flex it. Yeah. So, so right. So for example, if, if Misty Copeland just came out of the womb and could dance like that, we'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And it, us, us revering people with natural talent is actually she talks about this. It, it sort of gives us a pass. Yes. Well, I don't need to work really hard if I don't have it because I just don't naturally have it. So it sort of excuses you from yes. this grueling path to excellence. Or the reason right? it's the reason that I'm not in the NBA is <laughs> because yeah. I did, I'm not a talented basketball player. Exactly. Exactly. Um, when in reality, people at that high level, the upper echelons of any profession yeah. or whatever, exactly, have been working their ass off. Exactly. And she says you. And I don't want to jump ahead too much, but mostly when we see people 
performing in an excellent way, whether it's Angela Duckworth giving a TED Talk, mm-hmm. Misty Copeland in a, a ballet, or Michael Phelps winning gold medals, we're actually seeing them in a state of flow, yeah. which is effortless. Yeah, But, but what only... you don't see is all the deliberate practice right. and struggle behind the scenes. Like if we were to see... You know, if we were to see um, that famous concert pianist practicing those three measures of music that they just can't quite get for three days. Uh, until, nine hours a day. We're never going to find that That's video right. on YouTube. That's right. We're only going to see the gorgeous finished product. There is a, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but th- this goes along with this sense of flow. My friend Tim Davis, who I hope to have on someday to talk about Brazilian Hi, jiu-jitsu, he uh, says this quote, I think it's from like a Navy SEAL guy or mm-hmm. something, that we never... We never rise to the occasion of performance. We fall to the high, to the highest level of our training. Wow. So that's what our flow is, is yeah. that it isn't that we suddenly just become better in yeah. this moment. Yeah. It's And people always say they rose to the challenge. No, 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 no. We fell to the, to the highest level of our training. Thank you. Yeah. So because it's sense. not when th- th- he's talking about clutch performers, yeah. no one is a clutch performer. What does clutch mean? Like that we threw to you at the last second and you threw the shot, the game winning shot right. to beat the buzzer. Right, 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 right. Um, he's clutch. He's clutch. He's clutch. N- that's not you it. You probably practiced a million times exactly receiving right. a ball and immediately throwing it. That's exactly and right. Getting, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of practice yeah. or like you did, you won the free throw when everybody was screaming at you and yeah. there were two seconds left. It's at the end of practice, you did a hundred free throws and you wouldn't yeah. leave until yeah. So we're going to talk about this. In a study of competitive swimmers, um, this man Dan Shambliss writes, the most dazzling human achievements are, in fact, the aggregate of countless individual elements, each of which, which is, in a sense, ordinary. Yes. Right? So if you're a swimmer, you are practicing how you're pointing your toes maybe for that entire week of practice. Then you are making sure you're breathing on exactly the stroke you need to. And you know, I was a competitive that. swimmer, right? Oh, In high that's school. right. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Practices are boring. They're just, so... Oh, you're seven and so, to nine miles. And so many athletes um, interviewed in this book are like, I I there are many mornings where I'm walking to the pool at 4 a.m. where I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, I hate practicing. I don't like swimming. But being in that state of flow, finally, when you're at the meet or how good that feels to accomplish something is their driving goal. That's right. right. So, OK, it's not just but it's not just about practice. It's about how we practice, deliberate practice. So here's what she says on how experts practice. First, they set a stretch goal. So they zero in on just one narrow aspect of their overall performance. Rather than focus on what they already do well, experts strive to improve specific weaknesses. They intentionally seek out challenges they can't yet meet. So a stretch goal is doing something that you have to stretch to get there. You have to stretch beyond your... For me, I was a mid-distance swimmer. So or like a long distance then after I got mono in high school. So like if I swim the 200 or the 500, I would try to negative split, which means yeah. you try to do the second half faster than the first half. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second part is then with undivided attention and great effort, and it should feel tedious. If it's deliberate practice, it's fucking horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Experts strive to reach their stretch goal. Interestingly, many choose to do so while nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. So in this a section she did a she um and this other researcher did a ton of research and studies on the national spelling bee mm. and who made it to the end and how were they practicing etc um uh 
And they really would like identify types of words that they couldn't spell and drill them over and over, Mm -hmm. take quizzes to get feedback. Um, So as soon as possible, the third step, experts hungrily seek feedback on how they did. Necessarily, much of that feedback is negative. This means that experts are more interested in what they did wrong so that they can fix it than what they did right. Yes. So they're kind of perfectionists. Yeah, in a way, you're just going like, okay, I'm identifying that weakness. I'm going to work on it. Now I'm going to try and measure if I've made any progress, yeah. right? Yeah. So so for, for the spelling bee kids, that might mean being quizzed by their parents after two hours of studying yeah. and trying to memorize these words, yeah. right? So they'll immediately circle the words they got wrong again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the active processing of this feedback is essential as its immediacy, mm. as is its immediacy. Um, and after feedback, then what? So what happens? So that's your process. Do it again, yeah. Experts do it all over again yes. and again and again. Yes. Until they have finally mastered what they set out to do. Until what was a struggle before is now fluent and flawless. Until conscious incompetence because becomes unconscious competence. competence. And just when you're saying that word deliberate practice, that's what... Um, Everybody misquotes Mal- Malcolm Gladwell because he misquoted it, the 10,000 hours to become an expert. It's yes. 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. And she talks about that, too, because if you are going, you know, uh, she talks about this example of a woman who met with somebody and she was like, look, I've been running for the last 10 years. I'm not any better than I was before. And this guy goes, OK, well, what do you think about when you run? And she's or what, what do you listen to when you run? And she's like, well, podcasts or like music, et cetera. And he's like, OK, well, what's your goal when you run? And she's like, I don't know, to fit in my jeans. And he's like, uh, OK, so like, what's your pace goal? She's like, I don't have a pace goal. And he's like, so do you have a coach? And she laughed. She was like, why would I need a coach to like run casually in the and morning? Yet she was like, I'm not any better. Well, but the point is, she's probably put in 10,000 hours, you yeah. know, of running, but yes. it wasn't deliberate. That's right. So, right. So um, gritty people do more deliberate practice and experience more flow. Amazing. But here's the thing. You don't experience deliberate practice and flow at the same time. Never. Because deliberate practice is inherently effortful. Yeah. And it should feel tedious. And most people report not enjoying deliberate practice. No. Like when I am practicing scene work, like I'll take workshops every now and then that require constant daily grueling exercises for two hours where my brain is fully engaged and analytical and practicing specific parts of scene work. It's fucking terrible. It's not right? fun. It's not fun. But then when you're in flow, like you're saying, you fall back to that highest level of training and you feel like you're in complete control because you are. The way I like to think about it is if you try to explain to somebody step by step what your hands are doing while you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it's going to feel uncomfortable and awkward. Yes. But the act of making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is very easy. Totally. So first of all, deliberate practice is a behavior and flow is an experience. Yeah. It's part of the performance. Yeah. So deliberate practice is for preparation and flow is for performance. performance. Yes. So the thing I like to think about is when when we all learn to drive, you sort of get in the thing oh God, and you adjust the mirror and you buckle up and you adjust your seat and you put your hands on 10 and 2. You put the key in the thing. You turn it. You're really actively thinking about every little thing. And you have to deliberately practice so that you're you can so pass the experience. Yeah, you're so inexperienced. And you're it's terrifying. A it's terrifying. The stakes are high. Yeah. You know, you could die. But Lisa, when you drove here, did you think about driving at all? Did you uh, like deliberately think about? I slept while I drove. 
Thank you. Wow. That is true. I was listening to our last podcast on why we sleep and I slept while I drove. Just kidding. Wow. She, you truly are an expert. Also, sidebar, for those of us who uh, took driving lessons uh, uh, a few ages ago, now they say don't put your hands at 10 and 2 because of airbags and your hands will fly into your face. (gasps) So they want them at 4 and uh, and 8. Whoa. 4 and 8. Isn't that crazy? Four and eight. I learned that by watching Conan O'Brien. Okay, you're welcome. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you, Conan. Thank you. Um, and like we said, nobody wants to show you the hours and hours of becoming. No. They'd rather show the highlight of what they've become. But I kind of wish we would show the hours and hours of becoming. I we think can it's do more that. accurate. Yes, we can do that. And I mean, you know, there are there are some people who, you know, uh, like Tiger I, Woods, we did see the hours and hours. Sure. Or there's a lot of fitness accounts on Instagram where yeah. people show like, here's what I ate today. Here's my food prep. Here's my da 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 da. You know, as own issues. Yeah. It really does. But that you know, that's sort of like, oh, okay. Like I have, I don't just like wake up in the morning and look like a fucking fitness model. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. So she also talks. Angela, the author, talks about her experience preparing for her TED talk and how her first draft of the talk (laughs) got so much feedback and she practiced it so much in front of family and friends and her daughters were really brutally honest with her and she refined it so much that the final product barely resembled the first one she came in at yeah um and she was she was saying how how hard it was to get that feedback and how her ego wanted to be like no i'm the expert here but then she was like no, I'm not the expert on giving a great talk. The people at TED are experts on giving a great talk. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert on this information, so I should listen to those people, right? So talent, how fast we improve in skill, absolutely matters. But effort factors into the calculation twice, not once. And we'll get to what this calculation is. Effort builds skill. At the very same time, effort then makes skill productive. Mm-hmm. So she says consistency of effort over the long run is everything. So like measure twice, cut once is kind of like that. Uh, effort, because effort's doing two things at once. Let me get, um, we're yeah. about to hop in. So here's the formula for success, according to Duckworth, her calculation for success. Talent times effort equals skill. Okay. Skill times effort equals achievement. Yeah, okay. Right? So you've got effort in there twice. So many of us, it seems, quit what we start far too early and far too often. I keep hearing you say fart. That's right. We (laughs) fart far too early and far too often. Far too early. Even more than the effort a gritty person puts in on a single day, what matters is that they wake up the next day and the next, ready to get on that treadmill and keep going. Michael Phelps, Tiger Woods, all of these uh, only male uh, athletes I can think of, sadly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Michelle Wee. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's not just athletes. It's that's it's right. people who are inventing something that's going to change the world. It's scientists. It's yeah, building the first computer. You know, it's it's all these things. It's like you get up and you try. Like Edison mm-hmm. and the Marie light bulb. Curie. Yes, right. So grit is about working on something you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. It's not about falling in love. It's about staying in love. Martin Luther, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That right. took grit. Right. Yes. So again, the two components of grit are passion and perseverance. Yes. So the directive 
to follow your passion is not bad advice, but what may be even more useful is to understand how passions are fostered in the first place. Mm. So how do you find your passion, right? Because all of this is assuming you've got a passionate goal you're working yes, on, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, <sighs> right? That's what we say. Mm-hmm. So passion for your work is a little bit of discovery followed by a lot of development and then a lifetime of deepening. Yeah. So discovering your interests. In the initial stages, most people learn and practice something for fun, not to develop a lifelong career. Mm -hmm. Deep interest emerges with time and comes from a blend of age, real-life triggers, a period of interest development, and support from others. Mm -hmm. Interests are not discovered through introspection. Instead, interests are triggered by interactions with the outside world. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So somebody going... Hey, you might be great in the band. Have you ever thought about trumpet? I'm going to become a trumpeteer. Ah, yeah, you're not like, I'm now passionate. But it's like after three or four years, you're like, this is really fun. Maybe I want to study music. Yeah. My mom always says if you look at kids right around when they're four, that's kind of what their passions are. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you want to like give them lots of stuff to play with and explore if you can. Yeah, because that's kind of, they kind of just do what they're, I think, what they're naturally good at. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Without fear or without judgment, without abandon. You know, they're just without, with abandon. Yes, absolutely. What they naturally gravitate yes, towards. Yes, yes. So what follows the initial discovery of an interest is a much lengthier and increasingly proactive period of interest development. Longitudinal studies tracking learners confirm that overbearing parents and teachers erode intrinsic motivation. Fuck, yes. Kids whose parents let them make their own choices about what they like are more likely to develop interests later identified as a passion. Thank you, self-driven child. Yeah, this goes, yes, and by the way, she quotes that book. She (gasps) quotes a lot of the books we have either cited or covered, which is really exciting. Angela, please listen to our podcast. Girl, come on. Although she's probably like, I don't need to. I've already read and cited those books. (laughs) Yeah, and also you presented our book. Thank you, so never mind. So here's what she says on passion. What I mean by passion is not just that you have something you care about. What I mean is that you care about that same ultimate goal in an abiding, loyal, steady way. You are not capricious. Each day you wake up thinking of the questions you fell asleep thinking about. You are, in a sense, pointing in the same direction, ever eager to take on the smallest step forward than to take a step to the side towards some other destination. At the extreme, one might call your focus obsessive. Most of your actions derive their significance from their allegiance to your ultimate concern, your life philosophy. You have your priorities in order. Grit is about holding the same top-level goal for a very long time. Furthermore, this life philosophy, as Pete Carroll might put it, is so interesting and important that it organizes a great deal of your waking activity. Mm. And very gritty people, most mid-level and low-level goals are in some way or another related to that ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. In contrast, a lack of grit can come from having less coherent goal structures. So she also talks about um, imagine 10 circles in a pyramid, uh, like a triangular shape. You've got one circle on the very top that's your like ultimate goal. Then the next couple rows of three or four circles are mid-level goals. And then the tiny ones on the bottom are low-level goals. So low-level might be like send that email, submit my new headshots to an agent if you're an actor, et cetera. A mid-level goal might be like get representation, go on 14 auditions this month, and your ultimate goal or ultimate concern is to be a steadily employed working actor, right? Or whatever that looks like. Um, So when prioritizing goals, you can ask yourself, to what extent do these goals serve a common purpose? 
Though more they're part of the same goal hierarchy, important because they then serve the same ultimate concern, the more focused your passion. So she goes into a lot more detail on in this That's chapter great. of how to sort of organize those goals. Um, and this is what's really cool, especially in a book about grit. She talks about giving up on certain goals. So giving up on lower level goals is not only forgivable, it's sometimes absolutely necessary. Yeah. You should give up when one lower level goal can be swapped for another that is more feasible. Or if you are like me and you have a ton of different interests, that's cool. But like, you know, you're kind of diluting your energy. Ex- exactly. So for example, if I decided that writing was my ultimate concern, I might want to stop doing the podcast so that I could put all of this energy and focus into writing is this or your vice way of versa. Up with me? It's over. Okay. I is what enjoyed, I'm saying. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Hope you enjoyed the car. car. <laughs> Thank you. That's for those loyal listeners. Longtime loyal listeners. Thank you. you L cubes. Right. So grit grows as we figure out our life philosophy. And that's part of grit, right? Is like saying no to things that don't fit that ultimate passion yeah. part of passion and perseverance. Yeah. So grit grows as we figure out our life philosophy, learn to dust ourselves off after rejection and disappointment, and learn to tell the difference between low-level goals that should be abandoned quickly and higher-level goals that demand more tenacity. So she talks about, oh gosh, I can't remember the first one, but it was something like, oh, she was learning the piano and she wasn't very good at it and she didn't really enjoy it. Give up that low-level goal, right? Then French, she did enjoy and was better at it, but she also quit that goal. Zut Um, Bless you. Uh, because it, it was taking away from her ultimate concern. It wasn't really serving that purpose. Très bien fait. Right? Way. So research suggests there are four psychological assets behind grit. Each of these components can be developed by yourself from the inside out or with external help from the outside in. The, fir- uh, the four of them are interest, practice, purpose, and hope. Okay. So we need all four for grit. Okay. Interest, loving what you do. Yes. Practice, focusing on improvement no matter what. Yes. Purpose, believing strongly that your work matters to yourself and to others. Mm. This usually happens only after years of cultivating your interest and honing your abilities from practice. Most gritty people see their ultimate aims as deeply connected to the world beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so she uses this parable of three bricklayers to highlight this example. The three little pigs. Thank you. Uh, When asked, what are you doing? The first bricklayer says, I am laying bricks. The second says, I am building a church. And the third says, I am building the house of God. So the first bricklayer has a job. The second has a career. And the third has a calling. Many of us would like to be the third bricklayer, but instead we identify with the first or second. Now, nobody talks about the fourth little pig who is standing over there and who is the bricklayer's overseer. Okay. And he is the one who's controlling all the money. Oh, yeah. And he's just, he's like, I'm counting money. Okay. With his little hooves. Right. So you can see how purpose Mm -hmm. changes even these small tasks like I'm laying bricks. Mm -hmm. The person who has purpose and says, I'm building the house of God is going to be. Yeah. so much more interested and passionate about how they're laying those bricks, why they're laying those bricks, et cetera, yeah. versus the one who has no purpose and is like, I'm laying bricks. That's so great. Right? That's yeah. A great so I, I loved that. Um, so most gritty people see their ultimate aims as deeply connected to the world beyond themselves. Hope is the last uh, parameter of this. It's believing that you can work things out and overcome your challenges. Hope works hand in hand with all three components above to determine how you respond to failures. If you get up and keep going or stay down 
and be defeated. Mm. So from the that's hard. I gotta say, I have a friend who's really struggling right now. She is a very gritty person, mm. but the life circumstances that have been thrown her way have made hope really, really hard. Really hard. And I don't blame her. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't know how you cultivate hope when things are bleak. Absolutely. I think. A lot of it is not necessarily in the moment hope, but but it could be that you will eventually get past this. You will eventually reach a stasis mm. or or that this struggle this and effort pass, kind of. will be worth it mm-hmm. when you finally reach that other thing, mm. right? So it's tricky because, again, we're talking long term here. You yeah. know, when I, when I lost my dad, it was... It did feel hopeless. It did It did feel like, oh, my God, like, what is the point of anything? But the only thing that got me out of bed was so many people saying, I promise it gets better. Yeah. So, like, having that glimmer of hope that I don't know when, I don't know how, it's going to—and it did. It took, like, five full years before yeah. I felt like myself again, yeah. you know, and we're coming up on seven now. Yeah. So it's, like, just knowing eventually— you can get back to another place versus if you're like, no, I really never will. That's when you get suicidal thoughts and depression and, you know, this absence of grit or hope. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, too, there's just kind of a, a there's an in-between between having the hope and and the suicidal and depression of just kind oh, of for this sure. yes, difficult of where life is very challenging with yeah. finances, with, you know, with God, how, how difficult and expensive healthcare is, like that it's really hard to have have you can have your passion you can have all these things but i i hear what she's saying about that that fourth component is very important yeah and i agree and i i see how it's it's difficult i really see that it is some of my friends and and that is kind of one of the reasons we started this podcast Mm -hmm. is like okay so you're tolerating all this discomfort and you want to find hope or you're sort of in this middle ground it's like okay how what are the tools you can use to get you through those times um yeah yes yes we will get into nurturing hope in just a second okay great so from the very beginning to the very end it is inestimably important to learn to keep going even when things are difficult even when we have doubts in order to foster a practice grit so again enthusiasm is common among Mm -hmm. people endurance is rare Mm. and how many times have you heard in this industry um it's just about people who stay in it long enough. Well, they usually say, especially in, in acting in Hollywood, you yeah. need two of three things. Luck, talent, and perseverance. Yes. You can you only need two of those. And talent mm-hmm. or luck and perseverance or talent and luck, uh, talent and perseverance. Perseverance like, and luck, yeah. Yeah, you just need two. You need two of them. Yeah, absolutely. So deepening through practice, hard work alone isn't enough. Cognitive psychologist Anders Ericsson found that experts became became outstanding, not just from lots of practice, but how they practice, which we've already covered deliberate practice. Nurturing hope. Hope is the expectation that our own efforts can improve our future. Mm. It helps us to persevere. It gives us the strength to get back up each time we fall and to keep going. And this is where she cites Lisa's favorite book, Mindset by Carol Dweck, right? So believing that like we can learn from any failure, talent's not inherent, we can get better at it, et cetera. Right, right, right. Right? Um, So here's what she says on the motivational differences between experts and beginners. At the start of an endeavor, we need encouragement and freedom to figure out what we enjoy. We need small wins. We need applause. Yes, we can handle a tincture of criticism and corrective feedback. Just a 
tincture. Just, uh, you just sucked a little. Yes, we need to practice, but not too much and not too soon. Mm. Take, especially with kids. It's yeah. like you don't have to throw them into like an all intensive ballet don't academy. Don't outside the lines. Yeah. So if you rush a beginner, you will bludgeon their budding interest. Mm. It's very, very hard to get that back once you do. It's true. Yeah, so keep this in mind, helicopter parents. The grittier an individual is, the fewer career changes they're likely to make. Um, For the expert, novelty is in the nuance. So she talks about art experts. So if you've been studying art history and paintings and you're an artist yourself, um, you are going to see teeny tiny subtle differences in paintings that are really going to excite you. Excite you. Whereas a novice beginner can't even see those subtleties yet, right? Did you take art history? No. I didn't either. No, I didn't. Do you feel like you missed out? Yes and no, because I've been to the Louvre three times mm-hmm. and I just try and learn as much as I can. I sort of fall down a rabbit hole when I do that at the end of the day and sort of I mean, like, that's like a very, that's like a three-day intensive. But, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's very interesting. I took humanities. I didn't take either of those. Oh, man. So oh, you'd have loved like it. I would. Yeah, it's not too late. When people, like, know famous paintings, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I don't know. Who can know? I just do a fart joke. Mona Lisa. Um, if you'd like to follow your passion, but you haven't yet fostered one, you must begin at the beginning discovery. Oh. So you can ask yourself, what do I like to think about? Farts. Where does my mind wander? Farts. What do I really care about? Fart jokes. What matters most to me? Fart jokes. Good gastrointestinal health. (laughs) (laughs) Or actually bad because I like a fart joke. Yeah. And you can say, how do I enjoy spending my time? And in contrast, what do I find absolutely unbearable? So to young graduates wringing their hands over what to do, Duckworth says, experiment, try. You'll certainly learn more than if you don't. Mm -hmm. So it's still, it's a little surface level. Yeah. But those. Well, she can't. She's talking about grit. She's not talking about how to, how to find your passion. Those are their books on that. Yeah, there are books on that, but grit is passion and perseverance. So right. we are. But I'm saying that she's saying like once you have that, here's how you do it. She's not going to spend an entire book saying here's how to find not your passion. Not an entire book, but there are more details if you want to read. Okay. So obviously, she says, some kinds of occupations are necessarily jobs and others are careers and still others are callings. Mm-hmm. But what matters is whether the person doing the work believes that laying down the next brick is just something that has to be done or instead something that will lead to further personal success or finally work that connects the individual to something far greater than the self. I like that. Yep. If you want to have more grit in your life, you can think about how, in small but meaningful ways, you can change your current work to enhance its connection to your core values or finding inspiration in a purposeful role model. Right? So, yeah. So it's like if you're like, oh, no, I really want to be more charity-driven, maybe you can find a way to get your work to donate to a charity you love or set up like a volunteer Saturday or whatever, right? Yeah. So Duckworth's three suggestions to increase grit are to, one, update your beliefs about intelligence and talent. They're not innate. They can be practiced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Step two, practice optimistic Mm self-talk because if you are a pessimist, you're not going to have much hope. Right. Mm -hmm. So optimism. Number three, ask for a helping hand. Mm. We all need that external motivation sometimes. And oftentimes what we uh, she says that um, a lot of people that are grit paragons, somebody came to them at exactly the right time and said the exact right thing. Like, 
where do you want to go to college? I didn't think I was going to go to college. Why couldn't you go to Princeton? Mm. You know, that kind of thing, planting those seeds. That's Mm -hmm. why teachers are so important. Mm -hmm. So parenting for grit. Duckworth refers to parenting broadly as the act of nurturing the next generation. So that doesn't mean you birthed a child, right? Right. So you could just be a community member. As a friend, you could help parent someone. Yeah. Um, Every grit paragon she interviewed had at least one person who, oh, here we go, at the right time and in the right way, motivated them to push through to the next level. Hmm. And some some people like um, there's this famous quarterback – Steve Young, I want to say, for the 49ers, uh, who almost gave up like during football practice in high school and when he was a youngster, didn't even want to go to like first grade and had to have his mom sit in the classroom for weeks, almost gave up when he was benched in college, almost gave up when he was benched with the 49ers and then like ultimately went on to be this incredible athlete. But at each of those stages, his dad was like, yeah, you can quit, but then you can't come home because I don't like to live with quitters. (laughs) But it's actually in a really loving way, the way she outlines it. She's like, that might sound tough, but here's more context. And then you understand that that's actually what he needed. That was the loving act that he needed here to stay. Um, as a first grader. As yeah, a first grader. That's first grade, right. But you can't come home. That's right. Because I don't live with quitters. So if you want to bring forth grit in your child, first ask how much passion and perseverance you have for your own life goals. Then ask yourself how likely it is that your approach to parenting encourages your child to emulate you. Mm-hmm. If the answer to the first question is a great deal, your answer to the second is very likely you're already parenting for grit. So pro... Providing the training ground for grit. Grit and follow-through have been found to be directly correlated, and follow-through also has been found to be the best predictor of whether young people attain high achievement later in life. Mm. As soon as your child is old enough, find something they might enjoy doing outside of class and sign them up and require that they stick with at least one activity for more than a year. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people who let their kid quit the minute that they get tired of something. Yes. And you can also, she also encourages you to like, for follow through purposes, if they really are miserable, let them quit, but at a natural point. So the season is over. Yes. Summer is coming. We finished the agreed After the concert. Mm Yeah. Um, But- Follow through was only a wonderful predictor of success when somebody had stuck with an extracurricular for two years or more. So that's mm-hmm. as important. It's mm-hmm. that endurance factor. Well, yeah, because I think that they get the they get the benefit of seeing how they've improved. And right, it, and it doesn't happen over half a season or one season. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So we're about to get to an important caveat. So she says kids who spend more than a year in extracurriculars are significantly more likely to graduate from college and as young adults to volunteer in their communities. Here's what I loved. She said, listen, this is where um, economic disadvantage really comes into play. Because if you have a parent who can afford to, has the time to uh, sign you up for year-round soccer, summer soccer, when school's not in attendance, you have more opportunities to practice grit. You will be more successful. You know, the science shows that if you stick Mm -hmm. with it for more years— but that's only if they've got a car to get you to practice. And the time e- to pick you up. Yes. And even in free programs, maybe say at the YMCA, maybe your parent doesn't take you because they can't afford the uniforms or the snacks. So she does talk about how important it is yeah. to infuse our communities with these programs. And often the uh, schools that get all those gorgeous extracurriculars, cut athletics or art, um, are low-income schools. Yeah. So people who are low-income are disproportionately affected, and this 
perpetuates the cycle of poverty. Yes. Because if you can't, if you're not practicing grit and going to college and all these things because you don't have access to these lessons that will help teach you and give you that quality. Well, you're first of all, in yeah. those schools, you're less likely to finish high school. Yes. And then you're obviously less likely to go to college and or finish college. Yes. Yep. So developing a culture of grit. Culture refers to a group's shared norms and values. And this is a very long chapter with a plethora of examples um, uh, about how to do this. So our cultures shape our Mm self-identity, our worldview, and the way we think and act. And she doesn't mean just culture like American culture, right? It is the culture at the school we go to. Yeah. The culture on the football team. Like there are these different, you know. Microcultures. Yeah. You know, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose Mm -hmm. is that, you know, Friday Night Lights has a very specific culture in that football team. Thank you. God, I love that Amy Schumer (laughs) sketch. Her wine glass keeps getting bigger and bigger and she goes, ain't it good to be the coach? Till finally the wine glass is so big she's leaning on it. Like like, with her arm. I know, thank you. Um, So in conclusion. What? Mm-hmm. Are we there? Oh, yeah. Grit is vital to the psychology of success and can be developed. However, grit is not the only virtue that's important. And I, again, really loved this at the end. She said, look, I don't want to imply that a top-level goal is so important that you miss out on other things in life. She goes, often my kids are like, Mom, why do we have to talk to talk about deliberate practice every day at the dinner table? Why does everything have to relate back to your research? Can't we talk about Taylor Swift? Right? And she's like, I have and yet to see. She's like, you know ha- who has grit? Taylor Swift. Right. So she thank you. And so by the way, the the audiobook is uh, a little over 9 hours okay. or right around 9 hours. Great grit finishing it. Whew, thank you. Uh, the last one I read was 14, so I was grateful for this. Um but so she spends Eight hours and like 45 minutes talking about grit and how to develop it and then says grit is not the only virtue that's important. Our character is multidimensional. It's made of of at least three clusters of virtues, all of which affect different outcomes. Grit is just one key virtue. Mm. So the three are intrapersonal virtues like self-control. They affect how you manage yourself and grit is part of this category. The second is interpersonal virtues like social intelligence, emotional control. They affect how you interact with others. And if you really want to build that supportive community that will help you have grit, you really need some interpersonal virtues. The last one is intellectual virtues like curiosity. They affect how you engage with ideas. So we need all three of these things to have a balanced approach to endurance and grit. Well, that's great. And then there's also acknowledgments, recommended reading, about the author notes and an index. So that is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. Yeah. And there are so many examples and there's a lot I didn't cover. So if you want to hear more than we can present in one podcast episode, read it for yourself. It's available on audible.com, the free library or app Overdrive and wherever books are sold. And you can also check out AngelaDuckworth.com if you'd like to learn more. Misty, great job. What do you think the author got right? You know, she does a great job of breaking down uh, key takeaways. Mm -hmm. Like, here's how you do deliberate 
practice. Great. Here's solid examples of someone who did this. And a lot of people who were deemed like, not only are you not like uh, uh, in an advanced class, but we're actually going to put you in this special needs learning class who then went on to literally design rocket ships for NASA, yeah. you know, and sort of walks us through that journey. So it's really inspiring. And also I do appreciate her caveat. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. The caveat's great. I actually thought there uh, could be more caveats in there Mm because there wasn't a lot about, like, how do you um, foster grit in a child with special needs or how Mm -hmm. do you – you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And she does acknowledge that it's harder for low-income families, but she doesn't offer a solution. That's great. Right? Um, What do you think she got wrong? There's too many examples. This book could have been half the length. Well, Dweck or um, uh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He could have just said like seven idioms and been done. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like smile more and then moving on. So this did feel like, to me, if you've studied any kind of self-help or or you have grit, it just felt all really obvious. Really okay, obvious. so who is this book perfect for? Um, this book is perfect for uh, parents who want to graze, raise gritty kids mm-hmm. and really want to understand that. I would I would offer in tandem with the self-driven child mm-hmm. um, or any adult who wants to learn how to be grittier themselves. And who is this book terrible for? This book is terrible for pessimists who don't believe people can change, mm-hmm. anybody with a fixed mindset, or people who really, really revere talent as the end-all be-all. I actually had um, you know, somebody I really care about say to me the other day, I'm feeling insecure about the skill set because I've heard from so many people, you either have it or you don't. And And you said, you're right. I said, you're right. You should give up. And uh, no, I, I said to him, I said, no, actually. Have I got a book for you? Yeah. I actually said, oh, no, I've got a cheat sheet for you on exactly how to practice this skill. And I sent it to him. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I also think this book is, from sounding from you, not great for people who already have grit. Yeah. I think, yes. I think if you're somebody who already, I mean, it's cool to hear the science behind sure. it. And hearing that about deliberate practice made me feel so much better about writing because half the time I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like, yeah. I hate this. I don't like doing the scene work. But then to be in flow and have a draft I care about that people have an emotional response to is so exciting. So to sort of be validated that that's how a lot of experts feel. They don't love swimming practice. They're really just there for the glory of the meat and the flow and how good it feels to have mastered something new was really nice. And the culture of their team. Thank you. Um, uh, What did you put in practice? Anything? already super gritty. You are so gritty. Thank you, girl. I think I've been gritty my whole life. Yeah, I would Um, invite you to take a shower. But hopefully when I have kids, thank you, it's exfoliating to get all the grit off. Thank you. Um, I think when I have kids, I'll hopefully implement a lot more of this with them. Yeah. Or like if a friend is having a really bad day. Or like the friend who said, I I either have it or I don't. Yeah. And you said, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Um, And is there a homework challenge for me or our listeners? Yeah. I want you to practice deliberate practice. Say that again. I want you to do deliberate. I want you to practice deliberate practice. I say thank you. Yeah. So what I mean is if there is something, I mean, I know you have a lot of scripts to memorize lately. Mm -hmm. So if you are finding that you 
are getting caught up on certain words or like jumbling a paragraph or you're always dropping a line by accident. Like I want you to drill it, drill it, drill it so it feels so fucking tedious until, <laughs> right, the next day maybe sleep on it, wake up until yeah. it feels like flow. I love that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're you. welcome. Um, great. Well, ugh, the grittier the better. Yeah. Thank you for presenting this. You're welcome. I like my perseverance with a sign of grit. Thank you. A little mustard. And if you out there um, have been working on achieving more grit or if you feel like you're raising a gritty child to do grit laps around the parking lot, please um, write in and let us know. Let us know. We would love to hear how, how this impacts you. Um, but this was great, Misty. Thank you. Thank you so much. And also, you know, I encourage you to watch her TED Talk yes. if you want to, like, get a feel it's for her show as the author. It's in the show notes. Um, and I would love to hear stories of when you had to summon a shit ton of grit. Shit ton of grit. Hashtag shit ton Hat of grit. Hashtag shit ton of grit. And with that, everybody, life, life is abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at ghypodcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.